Good morning, and welcome to episode 724 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller, along with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. How are you? I'm doing well. Do any play indexing this weekend? I didn't. I did. I was away from my computer most of the weekend. Upstate, without internet, and I need internet to play index. Mm, mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Well, how are you? Okay. Follow any baseball? Do you have anything you want to banter about? Anything? Yeah. Anything this weekend you want to talk about? Well, we usually start our shows by talking about Ryan Webb or Matt Albers or Chinwei Sao or someone on that level of fame. But maybe we could start just briefly talking about players who were very much in the news this weekend. There are two guys I'm interested in. One, David Ortiz. Can we just do a, a two-minute David Ortiz Hall of Fame discussion? Yeah, by all means. Because everyone is doing that. But yeah. it's kind of an interesting one. So what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd put him in there. Yeah, he. he it, it's going well, to actually, hang on. It's gonna uh, have to be say. a non-standard argument for him because just the, the usual saber thing of citing his peak war and his career war or his Jaws score is not going to work for him. Just yeah. looking at Jay Jaffe's Jaws score, which you can find on any player's baseball reference page, it compares Ortiz to first baseman because there aren't really any DHs or hardly any players who've DHed as much as, as he has in the Hall of Fame. So it compares him to first baseman, and by that standard, he's not really very close. He has 50 career war, and the standard, the average Hall of Fame first baseman, has 66, and Ortiz has 33 peak war, and the average Hall of Fame first baseman has 42 peak war, So, and peak war is like your best seven seasons. So he's not close by that, by that standard. So then you start getting into other things. Maybe the fact that the Twins didn't handle him right and he was ready to hit at a high level before they unleashed him or before the Red Sox unleashed him. Maybe that's a consideration, although there are lots of players throughout baseball history who were not promoted when they were ready and maybe they could have done better if they weren't blocked by someone else. And it's hard to say whether you should take that into account because we care about what they actually did, not what they theoretically could have done. And then the other thing is the the DH consideration. And then there's, of course, the postseason consideration, which is not included in war. But if it were, in his case, would make a very large difference. Yeah, I, I want to, by the way, I tried to interrupt you before you gave all that, but I didn't do a very good job of it. I, I'm not sure that I would put him in mm-hmm. or not. I It's borderline. But I'm definitely not mad at people who do, and um, it seems like uh, I, I was anticipating that five years after he retired, uh, there would be a big fight where uh, he got Jack Morris, and I think he's uh, more deserving than Jack Morris, and I don't have any issue with it, uh, and so I would, not, uh, I would not be mad at anybody who voted for him. Uh, I'm both pleased to see that while this is controversial, uh, it does seem like even among the uh, the the war sorters among us, uh, it's not as controversial. It's not he, like he's not quite being dismissed so insultingly as I think sometimes Morris was, mm-hmm. and as sometimes I did to Morris. Yeah. Uh, so that's that's nice. I'm displeased 
to see that we're having this discussion three years before he retires. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, and, and I mean, when I say I would put him in, I think I, I, I don't know. It depends how crowded the ballot is. I mean, I would put him personally, uh, I would put him at about the level that Craig Biggio is and Craig Biggio was, he did not make my ballot when I had to do it, but it was a crowded ballot. He was the, the 11th name basically. I didn't, I didn't, I don't think I ever, I mean my ballot, my fake ballot. I, uh, I thought Biggio was also borderline and I was fine leaving him off. And so Ortiz right now is bored. But uh, I I also am having this conversation with the presumption that David Ortiz, like I'm thinking of David Ortiz as the guy who's still an awesome hitter. And my brain is just sort of mentally thinking of him as not being done yet. So That's true. If, if you <laughs> were, been... if you were to, conv- if you were to tell me, oh, and, and he, you know, like ran into a building today and never played again. Uh, then I'd have to sort of reconsider that new information. But my brain is just not doing that with him right now. My brain is thinking of him as a guy who is, you know, like Beltre, for instance, still producing uh, Beltre better. I don't mean to say that they're equal, but he's still producing. And uh, I expect that he'll he'll even uh, further improve his his chances. I also think that, I mean, the postseason thing, nobody has an answer for that. Mm-hmm. And... He is, I think he's third all time in postseason win probability added. Uh, and you can say, well, yeah, you got to play way more games because he lives in the wild card era, yeah. which is fine and true. I mean, that's why he's third instead of like seventh or yeah. whatever. Like if all throughout history uh, they were playing 19 rounds, then yeah, somebody else would be up there too. But he would still be extremely high. He's mm-hmm. uh, third in the, even in the wild card era, which is 20 three years old and behind only two pitchers so far as I know one of which is a closer Mariano Rivera the other I think he's just behind Kurt Schilling mm-hmm. if I'm remembering this correctly and I don't know what you do with a win a postseason win added but my guess is that I would feel fine saying multiply it by like six or seven uh-huh. and so if he's at three and a half win probability wins added uh to me that I like my mental adjustment I'm fine giving that 20, 20 wins. Mm-hmm. He has a 962 OPS in 82 postseason games, 357 plate appearances, and a 925 OPS in his regular season career. And obviously that's that's sort of skewed because of the, the years when he was in the postseason if you compared directly to his years when he was, his regular season years during that time. It would probably be pretty close because his, his early years with the Twins were not as good for reasons that have been well publicized. So it's probably not quite as clutch as it seems if you just compare his lifetime stats in each, but he certainly wasn't any worse in October. And that, that qualifies as clutch. Basically, if you were, if you are the same, that's, that's pretty clutch. Yeah. I think like something like, something like 10% of players with sufficient at bats, actually probably even less, but I think something like that, have better OPS. Like, it's very rare for obvious reasons yeah. to have a better OPS or to have better numbers in the postseason. Yeah. Uh, I mean, like, Jeter was very, very, very slightly better, and Jeter has this huge reputation, mm-hmm. uh, too. Right. So, is there a difference? Because we were talking about him with the Twins and the fact that he didn't get a shot early. Is it analogous at all to say that it's not fair, just as it's not fair to say that you can add on value 
that a guy theoretically could have accrued if his team promoted him or used him differently? Is it analogous at all to say, well, other player X didn't get to play in the postseason, so theoretically he could have accrued that same value? Do you see that being the same at all? I wouldn't say I see it being the same because the presumption is not that a guy is going to be a star in the postseason. Like The presumption is not that he's going to have huge monster hits that everybody remembers for you know 20 years and that he's going to be the all-time leader in postseason when probability added among hitters. Like the presumption is that he'll can, he'll get at bats, but that you know they'll be average at bats. Who knows? So I think when people talk about Ortiz, it's not just that he has a lot of at bats in the postseason and therefore has a lot of hits and has a lot of RBIs and has a lot of baseball things, but rather that he so distinguished himself in a way that uh, very few hitters are have been capable of doing. And then there's. Suppose the DH is a part of baseball now, and it's a position. Like if you're going to put closers in, closer is essentially a position. So if you decided that the best closer gets into the Hall of Fame, then should that also mean that the best DH gets into the Hall of Fame? And you shouldn't ding him because he was a DH. That's a position that existed. And as you've said in the past... If there were no DH, David Ortiz probably would have been playing first base all this time, right? And maybe maybe he wouldn't have aged as well or lasted as long. I don't know. But he's a good enough hitter that I think if there had been no DH, he probably would have been playing first base. The, there's no reason to make an argument against him based on him being DH as like a, as like a binary thing, right? Right. You could, But you'd still... You can make like, a case against him just because he didn't add fielding value. Well, no, I mean, you, you, that's just the war argument, right? Like, we've already yeah. acknowledged that his war is borderline. Yeah. And if if not low, and I wouldn't put him in without the postseason. Mm-hmm. Although, I feel like throughout history, the huge power hitter who bats fourth and gets a lot of RBIs and home runs and those things, has kind of passed the test of time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a it's it's kind of never not been cool to be that guy. And the middle infielder with the positional adjustment that gets his war up, that's still a fairly new thing. Mm-hmm. Like, we know that that guy's also valuable, and I trust that. And if I were building a team, I would use that as my best evidence of value and all of that Mm -hmm. but it's just kind of like um like declaring a book to be a classic right now when like that just came out is usually a bad idea you don't really know what's gonna survive 70 years down the way and so that's why like i don't really like to read contemporary fiction because odds are you're wasting your time you're reading a book that doesn't really mean that much and (laughs) like if you look at i'm gonna use an analogy but I, for instance, for a while, read every Michael Chabon book, uh-huh. right? And then I started thinking, but I don't read, like, every uh, Hemingway book mm-hmm. because, uh, some like, time did the sifting for me and said, oh, you don't have to read a lot of these. <laughs> like, just read a couple. Uh-huh. Read A Farewell to Arms. Read For Whom the Bell Tolls. Read the good ones. Uh-huh. And, and a whole bunch of other stuff gets kind of lost, right? And so that's what time does it sifts out all the kind of eh arguments or 
the less necessary arguments and leaves you with only the really, really, really good stuff. And so it kind of makes sense to not read anything that hasn't come out in the last 60 years to some degree. Okay. So you would not recommend buying our book. <laughs> <laughs> nonfiction is totally different. Okay. Nonfiction, nonfiction, it's important that you uh, read it because that's how you understand the world. Nonfiction is journalism. Uh-huh. So okay. it's totally different. <laughs> <laughs> Which is just to say that there's a, sort of a respect for the past. I don't, this argument sounds horrible. This argument is not going anywhere. It's been long. It's been directionless. Bring it home anyway. <laughs> it's not exactly how I really feel. <laughs> but I feel like there is something to be said for the fact that David Ortiz would be a superstar in every era, and he's going to be a superstar 100 years from now. And nobody will ever look at David Ortiz's stats and go, can you explain this to me? Yeah. Whereas uh, whereas the, uh, you know, the argument that gets... Um, uh, sort certain other players to fit like Jimmy Rollins for instance is at about the same war as mm-hmm. David Ortiz I feel like I'm not sure about that like like this is my era and I'm a part of my era and I'm gonna I, I believe it as well because it's my era but I'm not sure that it's right like it wouldn't surprise me if later generations talked about our heirs and pointed at the David Ortiz, Jimmy Rollins one. Anyway, <laughs> but did I bring it home? <laughs> you stopped talking. <laughs> so, in that sense. Why do I need to justify David Ortiz in the Hall of Fame? Yeah, I don't know. I think, I, I don't Just know. I, I, it's, the point of the Hall of Fame is to get 500 people to decide whether somebody is a Hall of Famer or not. So, I support him <laughs> if a large plurality of those people yeah, and I don't really subscribe to the Kevin Goldstein position on the Hall of Fame, which is taking fame literally. And if you are famous, you should be in the Hall of Fame. But there is an element to that with him where I, I think you kind of alluded to it earlier. Like there's not going to be a I don't think there's going to be much animosity about this. At least the the people who are arguing against Ortiz, I think, will probably just say, yeah, OK, I mean, I wouldn't put him in, but. Maybe it's because I have a smaller hall in my mind than you do, but I can see why someone would put him in. There's no, it doesn't rely on logical fallacies or sloppy arguments. It's not like he hit the most home runs in the in the aughts or something like the like the you know the the Jack Morris had the most wins in the '80s or the pitching to the scoreboard stuff or something. It won't be that. It will be. Well, he started late. He was awesome once he got established, and he got to play in a lot of postseasons and was great in them. And that—that's it. That's—that's that's the case. And maybe it's good enough, and maybe it's not. But I can understand why it would be good enough for someone, even if it's <clears throat> not good enough for me. And it might be by the time he's done. Yeah, uh, the fallacy will will be that he was super duper clutch, and it'll be easy to find. I assume it'll be easy to find. 50 other guys who had the same ratio of stat to clutch stat uh-huh. that he did. I mean, that is he is not as clutch as, as we think, most likely, right? Probably not. There's probably, I mean, when you really break it down, there's probably like four hits that that is based on above and beyond what a normal great hitter has had. And four hits, uh, just making that number up, four hits over the course of a career is very easily within the range of normal distribution of results. So... 
probably there will be a lot of of assigning him certain uh, characteristics that eh, probably there's it's fine to be skeptical of those. And the narrativization of his career will probably get somewhat sickening. Yeah, and there will be point. he was a team leader. He was the heart and soul of three World Series teams, which you know might be true, but um, there will be some of that. Yeah, I don't know. I, I it would be different if he, like I said, it'd be different if he quit today. But it just sort of feels like that he has a skill that <laughs> is hard to find in baseball and. That powers at a premium. Oh god! <laughs> I, I knew. Yeah, I know. I know. I, as soon as I started that, I thought this is. I'm set, I'm putting myself in a bad spot here, Sam. <laughs> Finish it up. Finish it up. Yeah, I don't know. I I imagine that. I here's the other thing is that we tend to define ourselves in opposition to people we dislike, and I'm not sure that the David Ortiz Hall of Fame for Hall of Fame writing bad writing has really gotten off the ground yet. Mm-hmm. In seven or eight years, at some point in the next seven or eight years, it's really going to get strong. The bad writing side of things is really going to get strong. And we're going to, I think we'll start seeing a lot more um, uh, critical writing and thought about his p- position. And I could see being so bored of the pro argument that I actually change my mind mm-hmm. um but right now i just i like david ortiz i like yeah. how he hits the dingers yeah and yeah. uh and the other thing by the way ben the other thing is that a lot of the argument against him and this is very reasonable is that uh he's not the best guy available uh who's still uh eligible mm-hmm. he's he's like probably like the 15th best guy who's still eligible and i would put all 14 of those guys in as well as him, but it you you could make an argument that like there's a a lot of energy going to a guy who shouldn't necessarily be next in line, and who maybe takes up some of the votes and takes up a spot. And is it good or bad for Edgar Martinez if David Ortiz has a hmm. triumphant uh, campaign around him, for instance? Well, by I that point, Martinez will be off the ballot, uh-huh. so it would have to be a a veterans committee kind of thing. But, is it but maybe just the is fact it, that people are talking about it, they could use that as a comp for Martinez. Is it worse that David Ortiz gets in if Edgar's not in, or does it not matter? I mean, he's is he either, a, you know, quote-unquote, objectively a Hall of Famer or he's not, and what happens to Edgar Martinez is irrelevant? Yeah, if you're keeping Edgar out because he was a DH and you just have a blanket no DH policy, then it would be inconsistent if you let Ortiz in so but probably the same people who are anti-Edgar for that reason will be anti-Ortiz for the same reason unless they're Red Sox fans or inconsistent with their arguments yeah uh-huh sure has been known to happen it has but I mean I'm just saying that I'm not I'm saying is it worse as a kind of moral good or bad to have a player in the Hall of Fame if if David Ortiz is a worthy Hall of Famer does his worthiness change by whether or not a superior player gets in? Do the standards for Ortiz change based on what happens to Martinez? I mean, the idea behind Jaws is that, yes, the standards do change with each person who does or does not get elected. And in a kind of grand scheme of things, large picture, I think that's appropriate. But 
does it matter for Ortiz whether Kurt Schilling gets in and whether Edgar Martinez gets in and whether Larry Walker gets in and whether these guys who are, to my mind, clearly deserving and probably clearly ahead of him get in or not? Do the standards change? Does he need to wait his turn? Does the standard go way up higher? Is it a crime against the Hall of Fame if you start letting in the 15th best player eligible? Or if the 15th best player eligible is simply good enough, are each of these kind of trials independent of each other? Yeah, well, that kind of came up with Smoltz and Messina and Schilling, and I wrote about it at the time, just comparing the three of them or, you know, Smoltz to Messina and... It made it more glaring, I guess, when you can look at a guy who is the same as another guy in a lot of ways, or inferior in some ways, and he gets in in a cakewalk, cakewalk and the other guy gets no support. It definitely takes away some faith, some of the faith in the electorate or the process that goes into this. And if you're a supporter of that player, then it makes it more frustrating that your guy couldn't get in when the other guy gets in. I don't know whether it makes him more deserving or not, except very slightly because the standards move very slightly when one guy gets in, but it definitely makes it more frustrating. I'm going to give you a fun fact, Ben. Okay. All right. Madison Bumgarner, Mm -hmm. 342 batters faced in the postseason, Uh 2.3 win probability added. Okay. David or- David Ortiz, 357 plate appearances. So f- basically 15 extra plate appearances and 3.3 win probability added. So it's a good one. <clears throat> as huge as clutch, as big as Madison Bumgarner's postseason. Now, maybe you could argue that Bumgarner's World Series win probability added would be higher mm-hmm. because some of his excellence was clustered in the World Series. But anyway, that's the point. Mm-hmm. Ortiz hit 88.4% of his home runs after the age of 27. Stats and info informs me. That's interesting. That's the most ever for a 500 homer person. I think he and Jamie Moyer have almost the same career war. Jamie Moyer, 50.2. David Ortiz is about 50.2 as well. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> David Ortiz is uh, 50.0. So he <laughs> needs to have a good week to pass Jamie Moyer. Probably fine pass him by the end play. of the year. It's fine if, I'm also fine with him not making it, but I think it's probably more fun to vote for him, so I probably would if I could. Your philosophy on the classics is similar to your philosophy on everything, which is just wait because it'll be free after a while. Yeah. I I just can't. I mean, the, everything. Uh, you read these contemporary books, and they're, just, they're all C pluses that nobody will remember. 20 years you you look at you go to your parents friends bookshelves and it's depressing like how how many like mediocre books from like the early 80s are still there Uh there's bonfire of the vanities is on every bookshelf that's a good book maybe that's good enough i would i it's i would still say his third best Uh so and yeah but no bonfire i would say bonfire of the vanities is probably a Eh, yeah, I'd say it's a good enough book. But the thing is, A Man in Full is on all their bookshelves. That's the thing. That's what. That's my point. A Man in Full is on all their bookshelves. Okay. Hooking Up. Hooking Up is on all their bookshelves. <laughs> all right. So just wait several decades, 
everything will be free. You won't have to pay for it, and you won't have to waste your time with mediocre stuff. You might be dead is the problem. Oh, all right. right. I was going to bring up another player, but I'll save it for tomorrow because we bantered much longer than I anticipated about Ortiz. His, his two best books are nonfiction, though, and so that, I guess that justifies the mm. my position on nonfiction. Okay. I think almost every nonfiction, almost all nonfiction you read should probably be contemporary, with a couple of exceptions. There you go. All right. That's the Sam Miller syllabus. What are we talking about? Uh, we're talking about Fantex. Mm-hmm. Fantex? Is it Fantex. where's the where's the syllable break there? Fantex. 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 Let's say Fantex. Fantex. So, uh, as you've probably already heard, Fantex, a company that to oversimplify things, that sells stock in a player's career earnings, uh, has uh, apparently locked in Andrew Heaney of the Angels, and for a three point three million or so you can buy 10% of Andrew Heaney's future earnings, career future earnings in baseball contracts as well as corporate endorsements, appearance fees if he becomes a broadcaster, anything that capitalizes on his brand as a professional baseball player. Uh, For the rest of eternity, 10% goes to the shareholders if this deal gets completed and goes through. So... Uh, there's a lot of places we can talk about this. I think we did talk about this at one point in 2013 when, as a as a banter, I think, when Fantex uh, started locking in NFL players. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't remember what our position was at that point. But now now it's getting real because now we have a baseball player. So uh, the there's a lot of places to go with this. One is uh, whether you think Heaney is a good candidate for this type of thing. One is whether you think that this is a fair price for this kind of a thing. And then some of them are bigger issues, like whether this is uh, the future cool or uh, weird or what. Uh, and so let's just start by saying, uh, is Heaney the kind of pitcher that, or the kind of player that you would have expected to be the first to do this? Well, I guess I wouldn't expect it to be a superstar or a sure thing a guy who had already established himself as his peak self, because then he wouldn't have to do a deal like this. So I might have expected it to be someone younger, someone even less established, maybe even a, a minor leaguer, a prospect type. But I think he's he's not a, a crazy type to want to do this. He hasn't yeah, made his money a, yet, and he's, he's there. He's close enough that he's, yeah, you he, can see his contract in the in the future. Yeah, he made 2.6 million as a signing bonus, so he's he's doing okay. But yeah, he hasn't he hasn't made his money. He might never make his money. He's a pitcher. I think the fact that he's a pitcher uh, makes him a, obviously a very good candidate for this. Mm-hmm. As I mean, all of baseball is unpredictable. But if you're a hitter and you're good today, you can probably bet with pretty good certainty that you're going to be good tomorrow at least. But with a pitcher. You, you know, nothing 15 minutes from now is promised. Um, no matter how confident you feel, it, your confidence is all an illusion. So uh, that makes sense. And then, yeah, he's, uh, he's famous enough and established enough that um, you can see him being somebody that people would want to invest in. There's something somewhat abstract about pretty much all minor leaguers, except for about the dozen that the common fan knows. Uh, that makes it hard to distinguish between. I mean, it's almost like betting on, you know, the NFL instead of betting on some like mid-conference 
uh, football game or basketball game in the middle of the season where only the Sharks are paying any attention to it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Heaney is, you know, well-known. You can look him up. You can figure out whether he's good or not. You can read people writing about whether he's good or not. Mm-hmm. You can go on statistical websites and see his stats in great detail. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that makes sense. And so, he's so, so the deal is that he will receive $3.34 million in exchange for 10% of all future earnings related to his brand, which includes everything, essentially, player contracts, corporate endorsements, and appearance fees. This is as reported by Ken Rosenthal. I don't know how far that extends into the future. If a 60-year-old Andrew Heaney goes to a card show, if there are cards and he autographs them for a fee, does Fantrax get get that? Fantex get that? I don't know, but I think so though. Probably it's just the implication is yes in perpetuity, which uh, just like if I were Andrew Heaney, I feel like I wouldn't do this just because it seems like a pain. A pain, (laughs) it really does. It's like for the rest of my life, I have to give. It's like a Rumpelstiltskin sort of bargain where just every paycheck for the rest of your life, and you certainly see why he would do it. He could very well have. Tommy John or a rotator cuff or something before he reaches free agency and he's never good again. And the $3.34 million that he gets now will enable him to live comfortably for a long time, maybe for the rest of his life. So you can see why he would do it, but at the same time, it just seems sort of demoralizing just to have to sign away 10% for the rest of your life. See, and- I don't feel I don't feel so much about the demoralizing aspect. I mean, it's just it's a it's a tax, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and you either think that you're it's a good deal or not. And the more you make, the more you have to give away, the less you probably care about giving it away. Yeah. And so uh, it's not so much that as the just the paperwork, you know, <laughs> like that you have to be thinking about this forever. That yeah. you always have to save your receipts. Like one of the nice <laughs> things I would think about being like really rich is that you don't have to save your receipts. If you buy something mm-hmm. like at Target and you're like, I don't know if it's my size, who cares? You're super rich. And now all of a sudden he's got to like every paycheck he's got to keep track of and yeah. send in some form. And well, uh, I'm sure he has an accountant who does no, everything for him. But. I know he does, but also like that you can imagine and he, well, probably I assume that Fantex provides the accountant because could be too. If he's got a high, like, if he has to pay for an accountant for the rest of his life just to track this stuff for Fantex, yeah, like that's, <laughs> like now he's keeping a an entire family fed just to keep his his payments uh, yeah. in order. Plus, so there'd always be an incentive if you had your own accountant. There'd always the, be an incentive to hide yeah. things. Yeah, so presumably Fantex will do the accounting, but all the same, like you know that I don't know if it'll be for Heaney this way, but at some point. There is going to be a big dis- disagreement between investors and the athlete about whether money is being hid, whether there's shell games going on, whether he's doing cash card shows and not reporting them. There's going to be some like there's going to be some ad in the local paper in like 2048 about a guy about how he's going to like a baseball card shop and signing autographs for 50 people, the first 50 who show up and He's getting like $750 for that, and he's not going to have reported that, and there's going to be a lawsuit. Mm-hmm. It's to like, there, this is just like a, ve- you've, 
created a bureaucracy in your life where one needed not occur. And so anyway, I I would do it for $3.4 million. I would do a lot of paperwork. Yeah. I, I would. But I don't know that uh, that it's enough. Like I might rather give away 30% of my income <laughs> just so I, you get all the uh, all the money Three times the money, but with the same number of paper, the same amount of paperwork. Yeah, because so the second you do it, it's great, and you have three point three four million dollars, and then yeah. the rest of your life, it's like, ugh, I have to live with this now. <laughs> you get nothing for the rest of your life. So from the second you sign the contract on, I mean, you know, maybe you go buy a a nice house and you live in that house and you're happy in that house, but still, the way our minds work, you won't tell yourself when I was. How old is he? 20, he is 24. 24. So, you know, when he is 30 and 40 and 50, he, he won't remember the joy that he felt when he was 24 and he got $3 million. And plus, I mean, he's, he, as you mentioned, he made millions of dollars with his signing bonus and he is in the major league. So he's not exactly poor. He, he is not guaranteed to get the giant contract, but he's doing okay now. It's not like it's going to, dramatically improve the quality of his life at this moment probably it's not like he is you know a poor young pitcher from the dominican and the one payout totally changes his life and pays off his parents mortgage and brings them to the u.s and you know he's moving from a a brick hut to a mansion or something it's not going to be that dramatic so it's going to be hard to remember when he's 45 and he's still giving fantex 10% 10% of all his earnings. Well, so you, it seems like there's a, a part of, of what you're saying, kind of, I, I, for, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sort of sounds like you don't think he got a very good deal as well. Because if sure. it were, if he were getting, if he were getting like a huge premium on this, then that'd be worth it, right? I mean, that yeah. would, then you, then you'd be, that would be a smart investment. Like yeah. the question is not whether he's, well, maybe it is. It's not necessarily that the human brain is is incapable of reconciling a decision made today that has benefits or debits later on. Mm-hmm. If it's a good decision, it's a good decision, or it's a good investment, probably. Uh, but do you think it's a good investment in himself? Yeah, I was going to bring this up if you didn't, just to say, would you invest in Andrew Heaney at this price? And I think I probably would. I think I would probably I think I would probably bet that he will over the course of his lifetime make enough money to justify it. Although in the future there will be inflation, right? So if he makes 34 million lifetime and 20 million of that is 15 years from now or 10 years from now or something, then it wouldn't be the same as the money that he's giving up now. I mean, he's or the money that he's getting now, he's getting money now that in 20 years might be 34 million or something. So maybe he's just making a bet based on inflation and based on the survival skills of Fantex. Like maybe he just thinks Fantex won't last and that somehow he will end up getting out of this. Like he won't have to pay 50 years from now because I don't know, the investors won't be around, the company won't be around and he'll somehow get a good deal out of this. It's like the ultimate keeper league. And how long do most keeper leagues last? But even if that doesn't happen, it's not a it's not a bad deal. It's not like one of those extensions that we look at and shake our heads, like uh, you know Evan Longoria's first one or something. It's not it's not an obvious case of 
giving up money. Yeah, you mentioned what if the company's not around, and and from a investor's standpoint, from our standpoint, uh, the case has been made uh, by Felix Salmon at Reuters, but um, I think probably others that there's actually the it's kind of a a weird mechanism of how this works. The Fantex gets ten percent of his money and then gives you that money, basically, as I understand it, like it creates a trading exchange where uh, those shares can be traded on its own private exchange. However, uh, as Felix Salmon wrote, like you're betting on the player, but you're also betting on Fantex being a healthy company. Yeah. And that's a big bet. If Fantex either goes out of business or turns out to be super duper shady, <laughs> it's not quite clear what you get. And so there's like a lot of places for this to go wrong for the investor. And so it's actually quite po- quite possibly it seems not a very good idea to invest in this thing mm-hmm. just because it's not, it's not an established industry and you don't really want to be you know investing in this kind of thing without any established rules and regulations this is like reading michael shabon's <laughs> next book without the his- critical consensus of history yeah. telling you whether it was good or not um but from heaney's standpoint maybe it's the opposite i don't know what happens if Fantex goes out of business next year, yeah, does he have to keep giving money? Who does he keep giving money to? <laughs> and again, who does he keep giving money to? Now all of a sudden, are you in private? Now are there like private suits brought against Heaney yeah. or, to try to garnish those wages? Guys is with this baseball bats showing it, up yeah, at his door. It, is he suddenly living in Bleak House <laughs> where it's like like 15-year lawsuits over every paycheck he has? I mean, this sounds like it could be really depressing. On the other hand, Maybe he's simply betting against Fantex and uh, thinking, oh, they're going to give me $3.4 million and they're not going to be around in two years to claim anything from me. I don't know if that's true, but it is a very complicated bet. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I mean, to me, this underscores why this is not nearly as fun as I would like it to be. Mm-hmm. It What you've done, I mean, what this purports to be is hey, this baseball player is going to make a lot of money and you can invest in him. You can have a personal stake in him. Just like when you invest in uh, some company and they can use that money and build a factory and create a product and then you get dividends and you make your money work for you while bolstering the economy and contributing to this thing that supports everybody, right? But it's not really that. It's really what you're doing is taking baseball and turning it into a very weird, complicated economic shell game that you're probably not qualified to participate in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there's one line in the Rosenthal article. MLB was concerned about the possibility of such an agreement leaving Heaney vulnerable to exploitation by gamblers, but Fantex employs a screening process to weed out problematic investors, according to sources. Which seems, I don't know. I mean, I guess if MLB and the Players Union is satisfied, then we should probably be satisfied too. But the whole screening process seems like it could be circumvented i don't really see i don't really see that i had a i read that sentence a bunch and i didn't really see what the problem was in the first place if if heaney were giving away 90 percent of his earnings then that would definitely be a problem because now all of a sudden the incentives for him shift from be good at baseball and make a lot of money to potentially uh do something totally different right i mean it doesn't. At that point, it no longer matters almost whether he's good or bad at baseball. Mm-hmm. 
because he's already got all of his money up front. But it's 10%. I don't know that his incentives change at all. Certainly, I don't think his incentives change by as much as 10% when he gives up 10% of his income. He still is mostly going to be getting rich or not based on whether he does things just like every other baseball player does things. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really – I was trying to figure out what that even refers to. Like what is the problem with gamblers in this situation? Well – I mean the problem with gamblers is always that it's going to lead to uh, you know, throwing, throwing contests, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And I mean the problem with gamblers is no longer we don't like gambling because we have gambling all over the place. Major League Baseball is uh, partnered with a – what is essentially a gambling site – so the only problem with gambling is whether it affects the outcomes of the games or threatens the integrity of the games. And I couldn't see a way that Heaney essentially buying an insurance policy for 10% of his income would affect, uh, would be affected by the threat of gambling. Mm. Yeah, well, because it's kind of, it's like betting on yourself, which is also illegal <laughs> in Major League Baseball. It's betting, no, it's betting against yourself. Well, yeah, that's true. It doesn't but, seem like. But there's... again, it's only it's only ten percent though. It's not like he's he no longer wants himself to succeed. Mm-hmm. If he if he were betting ninety percent or something against himself, then you could argue. But so aside from the uncertainty about Fantex, would you do this deal? Would you invest in Heaney for this amount of money? Yes. Yes. Okay. So you think that he will eventually gross 40 million or something on that on that order uh yeah well, given inflation it probably needs to be like 45 million or maybe more but yes i do think that heaney as a player who has established himself in the major leagues uh and uh is a guy who was a top prospect is now currently at least in it seems to me an average major league pitcher and has 15 years uh, of potential income, uh, it seems like th- it is both a good bet that he will get to thirty-three million or forty-five million or whatever, and a decent bet that he will blow past that. So yeah, I would do it. I would do it also just because it'd be fun. However, uh, I wouldn't do it with the other stuff, like the uncertainty about the yeah about the whole enterprise. Mm-hmm. Like it, I just always feel like everything's probably a scam. Yeah, right. Okay, like this podcast, it can't be free. There's got to be a catch. Yes. Maybe his uh, his anonymous benefactor will turn out to be Magwitch or something. It'll be more great expectations than than Bleak House. How about uh, how about Houston Street emerging as one of the least uh, sort of I don't know. He's Houston Street has lately been making a lot of quotes that I find completely unlikable. Well, like the one about how he'd retire if he were not used if he in had the to pitch, If he had to pitch in the eighth, he'd retire. Mm-hmm. And on uh, as to this, he called it the dumbest deal I've ever heard. <laughs> huh. And he's a teammate. Yes, and he's a teammate. And yeah, he basically called him an idiot. Hmm. That's not very likable. All right. So that's it for today. We'll be back tomorrow. You can send us emails, podcast at baseballperspectus.com, Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash Effectively Wild. Rate, review, subscribe to the show, and support our sponsor, The Play Index, at baseballreference.com. Use the coupon code BP and get the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. Talk to you soon. <laughs>